Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2018. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom. Um... Mm-hmm. I've got some fanfic retrospective-related news today. Hmm. I finally started contacting some authors to let them know we were doing this, though I'm still not at the point where I'm contacting the authors we're going to read and tell them that it will happen. <laughs> That'd require a bit too much forethought. <laughs> um, I was kind of working backwards, which means maybe I should have like actually started at the beginning and went backwards. Yeah, maybe you should have been working forwards. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe I should have been doing it from the start. Yeah, maybe you should just, uh, yeah, just not drop the fucking ball on that. Look, how yeah. about we just stop this podcast, <laughs> end Retro Fanfic Retrospective, and try again? And we'll do it right from the beginning this time. A part of me would actually love that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be Retro Fanfic Retrospective Redux. And the old one would be Retro be Retro redo. Fanfic Retrospective. Yes, it would. Redo. Anyway. <laughs> redo. Not to be particular. No, Redux. First you dux it, then you dux it again. <laughs> anyway, I actually managed to reach a few of the authors, and those that have responded have been very gracious. Some of the ones I expected, like Two Flower, who has an internet presence and is very contactable. And then also, like, Tachikawa Mimi got back and was very oh, entertained really? by the fact that her extremely old Digimon fanfic is on a podcast now. Oh. I don't know if she's going to, like, get if she listens to Oh, it. she listened to it. And what did... She seemed very amused. Oh, Don't okay. worry. Oh, to I'm be glad. fair, I feel like we, we, I feel like we were a little mean. I think we weren't as mean as we have been for some people. Uh, we were actually yeah. very kind because the type of bad that, that fanfic was, and you know, she also does not think it's very good. It, it's an endearing kind of bad, right? It is. It is very endearing, and, I, I do and think we recognized that, that at yeah. the time. And we felt it's a little bit uh, betrayed at the moment, expecting Digimon fanfic. Yeah, <laughs> she was saying. As we know that the Digimon Dojinshi scene is like that too, where there's very mm-hmm. little uh, Digimon in it. Yes, and, and I don't know if we acknowledge that in the podcast, but I'm definitely aware of that. And it was one of the things that was like, you know, I just didn't want to see relationships between kids. I wanted to see like lighthearted Digimon fun. Well, I walked but... with you down the Digimon Dojinshi aisle of Winter Comic at 2016. Right. And you were complaining that it was all human characters. I was, and I ended up, the only one I ended up buying was the one where Gomamon and Joe get drunk together. Mm, sounds so, solid. That sounds yeah. nice. Yeah, it was pretty cute, actually. They still end up talking about, like, Joe's crush or something, but it has Gomamon, and Gomamon's really cute. It's kind of funny to see Digimon get drunk, because they are, like, they are technically, like, grown ups. They're Digimon. They're sure. monsters. Sure, when they're not babies, they're grown ups. Yeah, I, I don't know. They're, but, they're, you can't really consider Digimon to be like babies, you know. It's not like getting a baby drunk. It's, I don't think it's unethical. <laughs> Personally, I don't think it's unethical to get Digimon drunk. All right. It's it's settled. Getting a Digimon drunk is not the same as getting a baby drunk. Good to know. Good to That's know. That's what I think. Yeah, as someone yeah. with a baby, I will be careful not to do that. Not to someone get your with baby a Digimon, drunk. I'll be sure. What? <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyway, there was also that Digimon Dojinshi where it was like a Pokédex of bug-type yeah. Digimon. I don't know my Digimon very it's well. It's pretty cool. They're called Pokédexes, right? They're Digidexes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, you didn't buy that one, mm-hmm. that Dojinshi, mm-hmm. so you're part of the problem. I, I wanted, you know, I wanted limited funds, Amato. I know. Limited funds. You had bought a sweet jacket recently on that Japan trip, so. Oh, yeah. My um, 
Oh, gosh. It ended up being, like, over $150 in U.S. money. Like, oh, yeah. 200, two, what, what does it translate? 20,000 yen would be two, like, uh, 20,000 yen, yeah, approximately. Mm-hmm. $200 if you're doing yeah. 100 per, which is never true, but. What can I say? I was swooning for the Japanese punk scene. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Plus, I'm small. Finding small leather jackets is really hard <laughs> in the U.S. The other news is that I visited the foremost Utena podcast, Imagine Me and Utena. I, imagine Me and Utena? Do you have to just pronounce it Utena? I don't know. Do some people pronounce it Utena? Uh, I think the dub did. That's a oh, terrifying really? thought. Yeah, I mean, I have, it's totally wrong. But The idea of an Utena dub is actually terrifying to me. So. Some of the actors were really good. I'm, oh, really? I'm mm. way into, um, oh, what's her name? She did Lena Universe also. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Ortiz? Yeah, Lisa Ortiz. Pretty much anything Lisa Ortiz does is golden, and she's Shiori, oh, yeah. and she's an excellent Shiori. Oh. Right. Um, and then you have some a lot of solid actors, Crispin Freeman and such. Oh, Crispin yeah. Freeman. Yeah. I love Crispin Freeman. They have a really yeah. good um, uh, voice actor podcast. Crispin so. Freeman is Toga in the dub. And the main mm. Utena dub problem, I feel like, with Toga is that Akio in the original is kind of like Toga except more so. And in the dub, he's kind of like Toga except less so because Crispin Freeman is doing too good a job oh, yeah. as yeah. Toga. <laughs> Crispin yeah. Freeman probably should have been <laughs> Akio, but anyway. Yeah, except that they didn't even know they would be doing the second season when they licensed the first, I think. Yeah, yeah. And How one can at a you time. not do all the seasons of Utena because it's... Well, first you need to see if anybody's going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> also, it I don't think it's as much wrong. a screen time as Toga. No. Uh, no, no. It might be by the end, actually. At the end, maybe, but then, like... Because Toga spends a whole season moping yeah. in his room listening to classical music. That's a good point. Like, Akio has more screen time in the last season. Toga has more screen time. Well, Akio doesn't even appear in the first season. Although, I, I think, think we agree the best really option would have been Crispin Freeman doing both voices. I yeah, agree. That's actually what I was also thinking. <laughs> anyway, like, I've gotten not? totally sidetracked. Imagine yes. me and Utena has long since finished going over the series, and now they're doing various, like, Utena periphery. Hmm. And... The last two episodes that went up are about Utena fan fiction. They did one overview episode, and then they did Jockey Mart, which I was eyeing for us, except that it's 280,000 words, so, like, uh, maybe not but someday. Utena, so... And that's at the exact same time that our Ready first Utena fanfic episode also went up online. The John Carp fanfics. And so it's just total coincidence, because we'd recorded those a month before. <laughs> There's something in the air. Something in the air. There's gonna be, from now on, every podcast is going to be covering Utena fan fiction. You're going to be listening to, like, one. yeah. It's going to be so cliched at, at that point. <laughs> it's going to be, like, a podcast on, um, like, cars from the 1960s. Yeah, you can't get sudden, any more mainstream. Yeah, all of a sudden, there's the tie-in. Utna, <laughs> cars. We um, got this. What you know, model car does Akio drive? Red one? <laughs> <laughs> That's about my car knowledge, too. Yeah. A car that goes, I think. <laughs> it it yeah. does. It drives fast, and it makes a noise and when, it, it, when it goes. And in the movie, you do a fun flip over it, but it, it doesn't go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a convertible, too, right? Or, like, a, you know, one of those things with no top. Car yeah. with no top. Is it convertible if it never has a top, or is it only a convertible if you can, like, Whoa. convert it? Mind blown. It, it could, probably could go both ways. <laughs> like, uh, other... No. I, I, we get it. <laughs> like other things related to Akio's car, it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
Speaking of, I have no good transition, actually. What? Um, yeah, I know. I was trying to think of one. I almost had one with a car converting into Transformers into giant robots, but I just couldn't bring it home. Whoa, that would have been so good. I think that's for next week. Though. Just imagine that I did that, okay? Speaking of bisexual cars, our next fan fiction is... <laughs> da, da, da. Uh, Children of an Elder God, or at least the beginning of it. This is by Rod M. and John Biles. It is a... Uh, Evangelion Cthulhu Mythos crossover. And it's one of these fanfics that I had in mind when I was thinking of doing this podcast at all. Mm. Because this is one that had an undue influence on my young mind. <laughs> um, as Dom well knows. Should we yeah. just go right into shameful confessions here? Uh, go for it, Amon. I'll, I'll just be here silently judging. Yeah, I was actually <laughs> just going to ask how old you were when you read this first, Amon. Seventh grade? Yeah. Wow. Seventh grade. That's, this is quite a bit for seventh grade. I seventh or eighth grade. It started yeah. coming out in 99, I think. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would have been around 12. It was definitely yeah. middle school. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, might have been coming out in 98. I actually couldn't confirm that. This fanfic was published on the author's personal fanfic websites, which are both on thekeep.org. They're both still up. Um, Rod M. has one. John Biles has one. It doesn't seem like it was posted to Rec Arts Anime Creative because it was originally in HTML format, like Slayers Reflect, like throwing a few pictures in there. The link that I'm doing is to the HTML version. It's bit.ly slash rfrchildren. And it's kind of a nice version, except it has the uh, white text, which is a bit hard to read sometimes. Yeah. White text on white black, black, yeah. Yeah. It is hard to read in my way. But it does have fun things like red eyes in the black, <laughs> which is really yeah. Yeah. creepy the, sometimes. The main it's website picture is really good of like Ray's red eye with like astronomical charts kind of imposed yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was like, I couldn't tell. I thought it was like an elder sign or something. It, well, it could be some it's kind of a cult thing, but it's not yeah. an elder sign. An elder no, sign, it's not. I looked at it again. It's neither the star nor the tree. Yeah, well, you have like this one in chapter seven. I think. Oh, yeah, with the two red eyes just out of the black, darkness, seven. which is nice. Um, anyway, it's an old fanfic. It went up in, I think, 99, 98 originally. And they worked on it for a long time, and they eventually finished it. And that must have been at least 15 years later. I don't wow. remember exactly when the last chapter went up, but it was not that many years ago um, after starting. So what's your personal dark past with this? Uh, it's not my personal dark past, Dom. It's our personal dark past, as you <laughs> oh, well know. Call that. So, Tori, I don't think we've told you this. No. But when I was in middle school, mm-hmm. I ran a role-playing game. I know, big shock. With Dom and our mutual friend Jimmy. Wait a second. And it was just a me running this fanfic as a role playing game. Was this the original Ava game, Amato? Not, it wasn't. No, it was just Children of an Elder God, the horrible, Mm. horribly adapted tabletop role playing game where I literally would like print out each chapter for the session and kind of like scan it as I was going along having you know read it once before and hey. just be like oh yeah now this stuff happens but and actually Amaya, kind of yes <laughs> I respect you for that D- I do just you? say I respect you for that mm, for why? making the effort I did not make the effort it was so low effort <laughs> yeah but for thinking that you could there's a little bit of hubris involved but I also admire the confidence of saying I will now run a tabletop game, and it will be entirely based on this fan fiction that I like. Yep. And that will involve me reading from the fan fiction. 
and hoping my players kind of conform to this model. I, I feel like I have to respect like a 12 year old for doing it. It was that. sort of like a fan fiction of a fan fiction. Yeah. It was not the worst DM training to just kind of yeah. be rolling with things. Especially because know. me and Jimmy did nothing. Uh, standard. You, you, you had to learn to roll with things. I think Jimmy was the problem. He Sounds was dead set right. on getting underage drunk. <laughs> wow. If I recall Kids. correctly, Dom, you were playing Shinji and he was playing a, a new character? From what I understood, we both were the Shinji character. <laughs> you were both the Shinji character, but I, wasn't your character like actually Shinji? No, my I made my character to be a big punch man. Oh, okay. It's so like when, when we got confronted wow. by Toji at the beginning of the like the standard opening of Ava's like Toji beats up Shinji. Mm -hmm. Like my character like engaged Toji in a fist fight. <laughs> ah, that's an interesting thing like to give that option, right? I like how this fan fiction parallels as we'll get into. Yeah, I the, really like how they did that. We'll get, get to it really soon. It, yeah. Uh last thing about that game, if if viewers were wondering, I think we were using Fudge as the system. Um but to, to answer your personal question earlier, it was sort of the impetus to the Ava game. Yeah, it did uh, lead into the Ava game. The Ava game has not been mentioned on this podcast, <laughs> listeners, but I ran a... I think we should. Ava, well, I mean, it comes up right now in context, right? Yeah. Um, through middle school and high school, and then so after that, sequel what, games. What started was, like, I had memories of running in that game and having mm -hmm. fun with it. I was like... And talking with our other mutual friend Tarn at the time, like, mm -hmm. hey, we do a lot of role playing games. We did an Evangelion fan fiction role playing game. Why not bug a models <laughs> to make us a game like that where we can pretend to be Evangelion players? Which, as I'm saying it out loud, <laughs> sounds kind of weird. No, no. Don't all middle schoolers just really yeah. want to be Evangelion pilots? No, we were high schoolers. Oh, high school? Yeah. No, we started before high school. Didn't we? No, it was high school. It was high school. Oh, okay, it was high school. We, we were about I don't think our listeners freshman year. Really cared. We were about Shinji's age at, at that point. <laughs> anyway, um, so they asked me, "Hey, Lotto, run us a Evangelion role playing game." And I was like, "Sure," but then I took it to my brother, and by the time we were done plotting it out, it was a Evangelion, Lovecraft, Pokemon, Ranma, World of Darkness. That's old World of Darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what else was prominent? Uh, Dreamlands. Yeah, Dreamland stuff. Uh, so that's still basically Lovecraft. That's a different uh, chunk, I think. But Sailor Moon, including all kinds of other magical girl stuff. Uh, it was kitchen sink. Oh, Angelic Lair. Had, had <laughs> yeah. Elvis in it at some point. So, <laughs> Elvis made an appearance eventually. Amato kind of like created this concept Muyo. of this crossover <laughs> oh, yeah. game in which Utena. Harry was, Potter. Was Dubois right. from anything, or was that original? No, Dubois was just, like, I needed a, a mage from the the Order of Hermes, and I made one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Mata was very creative and conceptual in the Ava game, which is you can pull from any fandom you want and create this whole new world. And that game... Um, oh, my goddess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. That game ended up having Did we mention a Ronda? sequel, yes. and then a third version that Tarin ran, our friend Tarin yeah. ran, that I was involved in, in college. <laughs> so that's my familiarity. But um, It was complete you know, madness, but I promise right. that as it went along, Very it did also. Oh, the card game version of Changeling the Dreaming, which is Arcadia, the Wild Hunt. Wow. Um, I just, I admired your creativity so much in... Not only pulling in all of these elements, it was a very fan fiction thing to do. Oh, yeah. Pulling in all these crossover the fan elements. fan fictionist thing I've ever done. Right. Pulling all these crossover elements, but also creating a world in which all of those components synthesize perfectly together. That like, was the thing. It was Tarn, like, there, I don't think there was any Ava in Taran's game, even though we called it Ava game. But Taran right. had, like, the Princess Bride, like, the Dread Pirate Roberts, and, like, 
um, as well as things from Final Fantasy and it just the interesting thing about it was like point. Sailor Moon also like it started off as a just components of everything and we had to kind of like slowly recognize what they were like oh that's like the silver crystal you know yeah. like it, that was the great thing about it yeah as it started off it was its own Frankenstein monstrosity but the good thing about it was after it got on its feet and kept going it had pretty um, internal in, uh, consistent internal story and yeah. it started developing its own. Um, backstory along the way, its own world, really felt like its own thing after a while, especially after version 1.0, version 2.0, <laughs> where there was like history and lore within the game itself. I think it was at its most cohesive later in the life of the original one, mm-hmm. where like it really did just settle into a cosmology in which all of these things could exist for various reasons. But anyway, well, we shouldn't rant about that too much um, well, at this time. What I was going to say <laughs> is that I think that I can see how Children of an Elder God might have been an impetus for that. John Biles specifically was a major impetus. Yeah. And John Biles is one of the two authors of this fanfic. Uh, John Biles has done things like this and Sailor Moon Z, and Sailor Moon Z was a big influence in just being a Sailor Moon fanfic, but also just pulling whatever else he wanted into it. Like, it, it crosses over with Himei-chan's ribbon, like, eventually, just because he wanted to do that. I think he was also behind the... Um, like World of Darkness Magical Girl show, uh, Senshi the Merchandising, <laughs> and a, a Magical Girl game, and like notes for an Amber game that was also an anime crossover, like all those sorts of things were definitely a huge influence. And I did draw at least one thing directly from this fanfic into the Ava game uh, setting mm. also. Oh, and Amber was an Ava game also. <laughs> Who was? Amber. Oh, Amber. Yeah. Um, was it? There were some influences. Were there Amber influences actually? <laughs> I, I can barely remember. Um, I don't think there were in my time. Tarin might have added them later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we should probably talk about the actual fanfic. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about Lovecraft first? This is our first Cthulhu Mythos stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. I don't have too much experience with Lovecraft. I mostly have a secondhand experience with Lovecraft mm-hmm. by being around people who really love it. I've read one or two stories. Um, the only one that really stuck with me was the uh, Cthulhu one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a well, well was written the Call of Cthulhu. Call of yeah. Cthulhu. Yeah. That, I thought that was a well written piece. Uh, the rest of it yeah. seemed kind of. Um, I tried to get into. It seemed kind of meandering and. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I really like some of his writing. It's not all good, and I'm more familiar with like the kind of role playing gameized version. Yeah, I'm. Um, I, I'm more of a fan of the fandom based off of it. I, th- yeah. I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel similarly to that. Um, I was actually exposed to Lovecraft through, like, the Arkham Horror um, board <laughs> game first, I think, if I recall. And then, like, Call of Cthulhu D20 game and... Um, D20 Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, that, that wasn't my favorite, I'm not gonna lie. But I really loved the Arkham Horror board game and the world that's being created here in this kind of, like, detective style, mm. you know, 1940s stuff. 1920s? I can't remember. 1920s. 1920s. I, I um, ran a lot of Call yeah. of Cthulhu, uh, the role-playing game, in college, mm-hmm. but it was mostly just the same campaign a couple times, which was mm-hmm. The Masks of Nyarlathotep, which is a great campaign. Which is great. But it's yes. also like the pulpiest version of Lovecraft, where yeah. like you're going around fighting cultists all over the world, Indiana yeah. Jones style. But it's I pretty love great. all the games that have come out of of Lovecraft stuff. Like the games in the world seem to really compel people. When I read his stories, I could see why. Like his writing is over the top horror and obviously super racist. Super. 
and a lot of messed up stuff happens. But it was I think some the of the first stuff that like is what's really cool about that, it. That like challenged worldviews. I think. Yeah. Like, what yeah. if math didn't work like like how math did? Yeah, the non-including geometry. I love like the dream worlds, like oh, the yeah. idea. That's of, a fun thing. Yeah, the yeah. idea of there being an entire world in dreams is something I think really relatable to everyone, and like something that he created as this fantasy landscape of like just impossibilities that was really compelling. And that was that idea was fun. It shows up later in the fanfic is the dual nature of awake, being awake and dreaming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this fanfic, like we mentioned at the end of the last episode. It's a ground-up fusion of Evangelion and um, the Cthulhu Mythos, filtered a lot through the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. There's a reference straight away in Chapter 1, like, the very first thing that happens is there's an, an expedition into caves, like, and they, and Atlachnaka, the spider, great old one, awakens, and, like, you know, everyone dies, and the person, Gross. and the names of everyone are, like, Cthulhu Mythos writers, and the person monitoring it back from base is Sandy Peterson, mm. who is the author of Call of Cthulhu and a huge influence on kind of the gameable version of the Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so chapter one of this, The Stars Are Right, is parallel to episode one of Evangelion. Like Shinji arrives mm-hmm. in Tokyo 3, he's recruited to pilot an Ava immediately because an angel is coming. And in this fanfic, the angels are all great old ones, but they're still using the nomenclature angel as, you yeah. know, nervous. <laughs> Which is, you know, it works so well. It, it, it works really well. Kind of brilliant. In like, general, really. the two... The, the tones fit really well because there's still these, like, layers of secrecy and secrets and, like, ominous foreshadowing and people's sanity being damaged. And you get all that in original Ava. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the same tone. It's, like, perfect. I was going to say what really helped it is the fact that original, uh, original Ava lore is that these things are an alien construction that, yeah. that are on Earth. And that's fits so easily into uh, through the mythos. You They're just great old to, ones already. Yeah, instead of just... Because in Evangelion mythos, a lot of it, a lot of it, like who who this alien race was or why what their motivations are, has always just been an open ended question. But with, if you mm-hmm. just control paste the through the mythos over it, you, you have answers for everything. Yeah, um, and I think this first chapter also works really well because it's parallel to episode one. A lot of the beats are the same, but not at but none of the details are the same. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, this first yeah. angel is not in any way like the first angel. The fight goes very differently, partially because Rei is not so hurt that she can't pilot Unit Zero. And so it's both Shinji and Rei against this first mm-hmm. angel, which, again, is um, Atlak Naka, the spider great old one, and there's spiders running around everywhere as she awakens and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Tori, sounds like you were not a fan. No, um, I'm personally more terrified of spiders than probably anything in the entire universe. So anything in, in the entire cold impersonal universe. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, it's a difficult <laughs> one. I probably end up squishing it. I can squish them. It's just terrifying. So I mean, for me, it's such a phobia that in reading this, spiders slowly start to just show up more and more around the city. Yeah, like they're webbing Misato's car, mm-hmm. and one lands on Shinji's nose, and he has a staring contest with it, which fucking freaked me out. But. <laughs> Shinji being kind is kind to spiders. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. I think we should be kind to spiders. I just think scare me. You just yeah. hate so, and fear them. Yes. Yeah. I was like <laughs> I, on my walk with my dog reading this and like literally just like some little tiny piece of debris just like fell on my shirt sleeve and I freaked out. I was like swiping at it with my arms, my whole body. And it was like not even a leaf. It was like this tiny little 
nodule of something that probably like no one would even notice if they were in the right mindset yeah but for me i was like ah, i see something it's on me i must move but like, also to be fair um hate and fear cool. is different than a phobia Oh, okay. yes. Fair yeah, enough. it was a very, I have a, a very strong reaction. phobia. Yeah, it, it's almost, which um, is why, yeah, it's not really comparable to like being afraid of something, it's I guess. Re- reflexive. There's no thought in mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah. And then I was uh, just scraping my skin like it's on me, it's on me. Yeah. So, so the, uh, I should mention these are great old ones, but they also have angel names. Um, for the plot going forward, a couple of the main differences are that, like, when they defeat Adlaknaka, who's not the most threatening thing in the world, it's a big spider, but, um, mm. anyway, when they defeat it, like, both of their Evangelions change a little bit, and that's kind of an ongoing plot thread, that, like, the Evangelions are somehow, like, absorbing power or something from the great old ones they defeat. Yeah, that's fun. It's sort of like a gamifying, but also horrific... Yeah. Addition mm. to, to the Evangelion. Another right, because idea. the Evangelions aren't freaky enough already. It's like now this one, you know, yeah. produces webs or also, like has weird, smooth web skin. The weirdest part to me <laughs> is that they take that back to Ritsuko. And was it Ritsuko who said so. like it's not it's not an infection from the the um, the angel. It's an adaptation they're developing. Yeah, naturally. that's just what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. That's not true at all. That's just her trying to reassure them. It's so, definitely so, uh, that they're okay. like... Because I was like, what? why would she possibly think it's not an infection? Because like, what like, happens is like Raze gets spider mandibles. Uh-huh. Yes, that's and not, Shinji's turned silver. And, well, Shinji like, gets um, a covering that's completely like a, frictionless. A, yeah, like Nothing a sticks to it. webby covering. Which, that makes sense around. as an adaptation. The spider man- mandibles does not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... Oh, and there's one other thing. I glanced very briefly. The first three chapters have, like, author notes, basically, or, like, mm-hmm. reader's guide, which is just them going through kind of mentioning every reference that they're making, mostly, and there's a lot of them. They're, like, very systematically, in the normal Cthulhu Mythos way, referencing all kinds of different things. One mm-hmm. thing I did not catch was that when Shinji agrees to pilot Ava, he has a moment of, like, feeling like he's staring down at himself from Gendo and seeing himself agree. Right. And mm-hmm. afterwards, he's like, oh, well, I mean, I guess I agreed mm-hmm. and, like, I'm going with this. And that is Gendo literally possessing him like mm-hmm. like a ancestor is able to do to their child in what some, some Lovecraft story that I forget. And it's just, ah. Uh, yeah. Even more Gendo than normal Gendo to just be like... Look, my son's pretty spineless. I'll just have him think that he agreed and it'll be fine, and it is. Right. You have to, like, in Ava, originally, in the original series, there's a lot of psychological motivations that you have to infer for Shinji. Being a 14-year-old, like, you kind of have to infer that he wants to please his father in some Mm -hmm. way, even though his father has abandoned him and is neglectful and is terrible to him. In this, you kind of take it to that kind of, like, existential level where it's extrapolated into a literal possession. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Amato, is what it feels like. And I feel like it's a nice merger of... When we think of the supernatural, we're literally thinking of ways to explain kind of what happens to us, our mental illness or the weird things that happen to our brains. It's very the Buffy perspective, right? Where, like, every, every horror thing is actually a metaphor for some other problem... A that metaphor, is not, or, or like a, a way of addressing a translation of the same reality. And like as a nice side effect, it makes the story run a lot more smooth. It's mm-hmm. interesting that this is a Lovecraft fusion, and the beginning is way less 
sanity wearing on the characters than the original is. Like almost pleasant. Yeah, yeah, almost pleasant. Like Shinji, Shinji has help in his first fight. He doesn't mm-hmm. go berserk. Like it works out. The the LCL is like horrible, disgusting sludge in this because it's probably coming from somewhere oh, yeah, else. But I was going to say yeah, the LCL on this is terrifying. Instead right. of the, like the blood flavored orange goo, it's completely pitch black tar. Right, <laughs> black tar that tastes like rotting food and like rancid meat and just something nasty. As far as we've read for this episode, which is chapters one through six or seven or so, we haven't found out where it's coming from, but it's probably horrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so chapter two, this is Tokyo 3, is similarly equivalent to the second episode of Evangelion, except that Shinji's less traumatized and, um, you know, he moves in with Misato. Some of the same beats happen, like Toji tries to punch him for his sister getting hurt, but... Yes. It changes those sorts of things, too. Like, Ray steps in and stops Toji. Yeah, the characterization oh, yes. of Ray in this is a little bit different but, than Well, the, the characterization of Ray and Asuka are both very different in in ways that were very deliberate. Yes. And in Ray's case, she is being portrayed as less human yes. than canon Ray. Yeah. Like, she's yeah. terrifying. Like, she frees people, like, kind of freak out when they yes. see her sometimes. Probably because she's actually something, like, way more horrifying than a human clone, right? So, so I trigger right. something in, like, the hindbrain that makes right. everything, yeah. not just humans, uh, but animals and insects, and just want yeah. to avoid her altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed that, you know, everyone's reaction to Ray is just so much more dramatic. Like, it's nothing that she does. No. It's just how people feel when they're around It's her, just what she as is. if she's unnatural. And it's also yeah. kind of fun because, like, people yeah, realize this, and they're like, I hate her, I don't know why, but I'm still going to treat her nice <laughs> and they are yeah, pretty nice about it people are actually pretty good about it it's like mm-hmm. about at least treating her cordially but you know it like lets her freeze up toji and he just like kind of steps back down when he's not a person mm-hmm. who normally yeah does and that. like kensuke asked him like so you were about to hit him he told you he's like right so you let him go right what happened i don't know <laughs> <laughs> the other thing i want to mention is that we're going to be glossing over a lot of things because this is the kind of story where there are lots and lots of subplots set up yeah. that continue over time. Mm-hmm. One example in chapter two is that the first scene is uh, Ritsuko like, kind of injecting herself with what is probably the oh. Herbert West reanimator serum. To, I, I think she might I be dead and keeping that. herself alive, oh but she's like God. injecting herself with like this horrible green glowing stuff and reminding herself, I'm Ritsuko Akagi, I'm Ritsuko Akagi, Akagi, I cannot forget this. Right. And I, I think about that. in oh the next, God. like, four or five chapters, I don't think it even comes up No, again. because... It's just I, a hanging plot thread. I'm in it to chapter seven and a half, and it doesn't come up again. But you know it's going to eventually. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of things that we're probably not going to hit all of when we're talking about this. Does, did anybody else hear that one song based off the Reanimator movies? It's like the weird techno song? Like No. Mm-hmm. I have heard the Herbert West Reanimator song from Shoggoth on the Roof. Mm. which is uh, the, the version of To Life in that, mm-hmm. where he's like, To life, to life, I'll bring them. I'll mm. bring all these dead men to life. It's <laughs> oh great. <gosh>. Nice. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. Shoggoth on the Roof is often this. pretty on point. Mm. <laughs> Their biggest problem is that there's so few female characters in Lovecraft to work in. Yes, that's a yet another problem with Lovecraft. Oh, one of many, yes. Um... But I, I feel like we should kind of just keep breezing through the content here and see if we have stuff we want to talk about. Yes, sure. The end of chapter two, we're already getting introduced to Asuka. And similarly, this fanfic's Asuka is so much less traumatized than original one. She's living with this person, Dr. Yes. Himmelfarb, in Germany. By the way, and, uh, Himmelfarb is German or Yiddish for color of the sky. Like, oh. Like Himmel is like... 
heaven. What? Yeah. Oh. Is that is that some sort of color out of fa- space it, reference? I, going yeah, I wonder. <laughs> like, I just thought that too. Well, I, there must be. Like, I I saw it and I saw the word Himmel and I recognized that that being the German word heaven. So I looked up what uh, Himmelfarb meant. It's so actually it's a fairly common color out of heaven. Right? It's the color out of space. Oh, that's our God. And it's color of the sky or the color of the heavens. Heavens yeah. meaning space, right? Yeah, I, it's sure. Color of space. And it's also fairly Aerials. fairly fairly common real world um, surname. Anyway, we don't oh, really. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. All right. Good we enough. we don't find out the details for a long time, but this Oscar didn't have the same trauma. Like her parents died, but they died in like a nerve experiment accident, and like well, they were. It was some sort of like biological testing, and her father survived long enough that like he could talk to her and be like, "Be a great Ava pilot, save the world." She doesn't have the mother issues. Yeah, and I so, was gonna say yeah, like um, they don't mention her extremely abusive mother. That's at all. not a thing. In yes, it's just not a thing okay, already because sure. like, we. I don't know what exactly. We have to assume that the origins of the Evangelion machines themselves are different. Then that doesn't mean that Evangelions are houses for the for the pilot's mm. mother's souls. They're almost certainly not, I would think. That makes a good point. In the yes. series, the in the original series, uh, Asuka's mother lost the part of her soul that was a good mother into the Evangelion, no. which made it able to pilot in the first place. So if that didn't happen, then uh, Asuka's mother would be an actual human being. In this. <laughs> yes. But then the question becomes, like, Asuka is still driven by this battle lust um, and this aggression, which is seemed to be a byproduct of her abuse in the original series. So I think, what informs that in this? I think that, this fanfic does a pretty good job, actually, of setting that up, where she's very recognizably Asuka, but, but also clearly a very different and more together Asuka. And the source of her pride here is apparently that she's been being trained since she was six yeah. to be an Ava pilot, be the sure. best Ava pilot, sure. like save the world. And like she's she's really internalized that that like she's supposed to be the best of the best. Yeah, it's, it's a good it, point. It's like yes. childhood indoctrination. But she also yes. just doesn't have the same like chip on her shoulder that she does in the original series. And it's really interesting seeing an Asuka that is less scarred. So already yes. Ray and Asuka in this are a bit more personable than the actual they are. series. And I assume the authors, part of their intent is to start the characters at a higher point so they can grind away at their sanity more. Mm. Like you can't have a good Lovecraft story if people are already like gibbering at the beginning, right? That's a really good point <laughs> because, yeah, the point of Ava is that these people have gone through significant trauma. And in this, I think that with Lovecraft, it's people who are stable and the story is the trauma they undergo. Right. Which honestly, like, is something that maybe is a reason why people like perceive Lovecraft's work to be so stirring, because it's not common to see this parallel of trauma in this way, and people just go downhill and downhill, downhill. Mm-hmm. Like I think that is like efficient, like it's very efficient and its level of horrifyingness. So just about every good, um, good uh, through the mythos video game since then has been st- you've been starting off as a normal person. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it'll start you off showing you in a straight jacket in, in a San Antonio, like trying to kill yourself, mm-hmm. and it'll flash back to you as a normal person. It'll start off right off the bat telling you you're going from here to here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which is actually like a huge objection I take to the way that. The Cthulhu mythos all treats oh, insanity. It's not, it's not in the slightest the bit realistic. Insanity. No. no. But it's gameable. As a crazy person, I take <laughs> I take a what is the word? I take Umbridge? I just Umbridge, thank you. Yes. It's exactly Which is the actually word. a term also used in here. <laughs> now, chapter three is 
interesting. It's it's off the rails of being able to correspond things to episodes, because the main action here is that a group of cultists summon a swarm of Byaki to attack Nerve. Mm. And they're attacking all over the city. They're attacking the pilots. They're attacking the headquarters. A bunch of Nerve red shirts die. And like that already breaks the Evangelion moat. Uh, mold where there isn't a giant bad guy to, to defeat. Right. Right. Well, it kind of mimicked the spiders in the first thing that they were dog It mimicked that, except that there's not. Over, but then there was. Yeah, they're wondering, like, hey, if, are yes. these the servants of another angel? Like, is another angel yes. showing up? Incidentally, the nerve story is that the angels are alien bioweapons planted on Earth that are yes, trying to take over the. Later. They mentioned it a couple times that, like, that's the mm-hmm. story that the world knows is that. The angels are alien bioweapons planted by some alien race to destroy humanity. Which, like, isn't exactly untrue. It's not completely untrue, <laughs> but obviously there's whole layers of, like, Though, things that people are not allowed to know. Yeah, on that point, I would say that's a main difference. Just to say that originally I think the angels are more a byproduct of humanity, and here they're more of an alien and invasive well, force. The alien, no. the angels in the original are the byproduct of great old ones. It's, I well, mean, okay. u- using Lovecraft terminology... That's it's just fair. that there's only two great old ones, and they're they're, That's they're Lilith and it's Adam. Just, yeah, and, and yeah, that, the Lilith and Adam terminology like implies more of a human connection, but there isn't. No, it, it, but it, and the original actually implies that humans and angels are byproducts of, of these things yeah. in, in equal yes, measure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think my logic still stands in the sense that the well, we can go into that later. Okay. So. Um, I kind of like the Biaki action in this episode. I don't think the cultists are going to be big bads, but like there are groups working against Nerve. Well, cultists don't have long lifespans in general, right? No, they don't. And like this group of cultists ends up getting like missiled from a, a fighter plane, <laughs> like at the end it. of this episode. <laughs> like they they track down where the summoning happened and they blow up this cabin mm-hmm. in the woods. Because like in stories and through the mythos, you find out about cultists right before something happens, and whether the cultists succeed in what they're doing or whether they fail, the, the cultists will die. Right. Incidentally, Gendo and Futsuki are, of course, doing their Gendo and Futsuki thing in each chapter, and they're also working off of, like, prophecies and various mythos tomes. Mm. A lot of times, they seem to be in conflict. It's like, oh, well, the Unas Preclite and Kulten says this, but the Book of Avon says that, and, you know, we're, we're kind of working off of our best knowledge, mm-hmm. rather than it being the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so in this one, they have too much information. That's a problem. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kind of know who a yeah, lot of the great old ones of are. They know who they're going to have to fight. So they're like, well, right. okay, Adlaknak is not that dangerous. And, yeah. you know, and let's bring this other one in who we kind of have on mm-hmm. ice. This would be from the next episode. Yeah. Uh, Ron Teagoth. Like the, mm-hmm. the, what is it? The terror in the museum is the story that he's in. And they were like, let's bring this mm-hmm. one in because it's going to be easier than the other ones that we need the team to learn to work together. Yeah, and also that it's, mm-hmm. it's he should be, it should be awakening soon, and it's easier to bring it out to us before it awakens mm-hmm. than it is to get the Avas out to it when it awakens. Yeah. Um, so they're making a lot of decisions based on that kind of thing. Going back to episode three with the Biaki, I also just like that it gives the ground troops something to do that's actually useful for once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice to get some pilot action as opposed yeah. to giant robot action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But in the end, you know, uh, Shinji and Rei do get into Avas and squash a whole bunch of swarming Biaki that can't do anything to them. The Biaki are being called Cherubim, by the way. Um, all It's all angel terminology as far as the public knows. It's just I am too well-versed in my mythos. Yeah. It was interesting to see this um, parallel scene, too, to, like, when they were dealing with the spiders, where they're just squashing all mm-hmm. of these myriad insects and spiders or arachnids. 
but insect-like things. And once they got into their avas, the main conflict was actually trying to figure out how to catch one without squishing it. Right. right. They, I don't think they ever managed to do, do they? They, they, they got one. one. They got one, okay. Yeah. I like this nice parallel. Oh, but then it kind of withers in captivity, doesn't it? Yeah, they, they don't yeah. know how to feed it properly, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this nice like juxtaposition of like, oh, swarms of things being so horrifying, but each individual thing being so easily crushed. When you point out we're trying to capture one thing, it draws attention to the fact that a swarm is a terrifying object, but a single one, like, is actually this fragile entity, mm-hmm. and that in attempting to catch it, like, that's actually the most difficult thing they could do. Like, squash, <laughs> squashing the swarm was easier than it was to attempt to capture an individual. And I really think that, like, draws the juxtaposition between individual and swarm. Okay. That was really interesting. And then chapter four is called Oscar Strikes. It's just, like, the same... Uh... Same episode title as original, but obviously it's happening kind of earlier. And like we said, Asuka's characterization is different. She She's a lot more pleasant. Like, I, I kind of get behind her as a main protagonist more easily. More just a normal teenager. Yeah. More or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's still got, like, like we were saying, her confidence and, you know, her genius level stuff and all that. Yeah, so it's sort of like a prodigy syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Still super into Kaji, and Kaji is, like, even worse than normal Kaji. He's unbearable. Uh, I don't think he's worse. I think he's about the same. This characterization of Kanji is on point and not as offensive, I think. Okay, maybe so. Yeah. Had before. He treats Asuka really well, even though she clearly has a big crush on him. It's just like any time he's with Misato. I guess that's the same as the yeah, canon. Yeah, it is. And I think he's less of a pedophile than those. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that oh, good. Asuka is a little more clingy on him, or maybe he's just more present. But hmm. Anyway... She's being escorted by Kaji, um, you know, on a ship that's also carrying Ron Teagoth. Or I'm there's a lot of these that I've never had to say out loud, really. But this is someone who Sandy Peterson in the great in the Call of Duty role playing game classifies as a great old one. But in game stat terms, compared to pretty much any other great old one, he's pretty pathetic. And that's what they run with in this fanfic. Uh, kind of a squishy entity with a bunch of feeding tendrils um and they managed to bring it in and you know misato brings shinji and shinji's friends and ray to like meet her at the at the dock Mm -hmm. and so it's still kind of parallel to her first angel in evangelion because it's around ships except they don't have a mid-ocean battle yeah Yeah. kind of parallel none of it is like actually the same the way things shake out. But yeah, Asuka's uh, ordered to like take it in and yeah. captive. It, it awakens at, you know, just yeah. the wrong time. She gets in unit two and her orders are to capture it, but she is to, what does it do? Oh, it, like, what does it do? It it's takes a, it's a cush ball and it, like she punches she it. She just gets mad that it's weak. And at some point it takes her hand off. Oh yeah, it bites her hand uh, off. Oh yeah. And then she just kind of beats it to death. Yeah, but it, even before that, she's like, "This is weak and this is pathetic, and I would destroy it. I don't want to capture it, sort of thing." But then, yeah, when it takes her hand off, she gets angry. Yeah, she's like, "This is an angel. This is her enemy, right? That's what you've been telling me since I was six years old." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Which is fair. Gendo chews her out severely afterwards for not following orders because they really want to Gendo capture and, one. And Futsuyuki um, think that this thing living is important to whatever plans they have. Yeah, Futsuki right. Futsu- was like, by the way, like this. apparently this one might need to be alive for yeah. things to work out. Again, the revelations like, of Holly say so. <laughs> apparently, 
Asuka just fundamentally doesn't gel with the idea that such a weak thing, according to her, should be kept alive. And also, Gendo was like, you can tell this this any point sooner than right now. And Fuyutsuki says, I did tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens a couple of times where really Fuyutsuki yeah. has just, like, apparently mentioned things and, like, Gendo doesn't retain all of it. It must be hard keeping all these things straight, right? It happens, like, three or four times. Especially like, since they keep on having, like, arguments about the technical details like right. at one point they talk about five elements they're like oh yes the, the class then they talk about the five classical chinese elements like mm-hmm. no 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 the five western elements plus spirit right <laughs> and then yeah he keeps saying like oh you didn't say what what why did this never come up before it's like no it has it has come up several times at the end of the ron Teagoth conversation once ron Teagoth has been killed and even though the revelations of holly say that it may have been super important for it to be alive uh, they kind of ended being like, well, I guess we just keep going. Like, hopefully it wasn't that important. And <laughs> the authors know they're Chekhov's guns, so I'm sure that 20 chapters later it's going to be, like, extremely important that Ron Teagoth is dead. Yeah, how many Chekhov's guns are there in this particular? A <laughs> lot. Yeah. yeah. This is, like, Chekhov's armament so far. Yeah. yeah There's like, a lot of things just floating up there that are going mm-hmm. to be falling later. Armory? Somebody was... Armory, yeah. yeah. Somebody was preparing for the apocalypse or something down there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> the literary apocalypse. Chekhov's survival bunker. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the fun thing is, you know, just a lot of things get thrown out there and you just kind of like, okay, yeah, cool, new thing being thrown out there and it just kind of keeps coming. And so... Yeah, the fun part about not being quite as familiar with the Cthulhu mythos is that a lot of these can go go over my head so it seems novel at the time when it mm-hmm. comes back up. The other thing that's good is that the degree to which they are foreshadowing varies. And so, for example, uh, Gendo and Fuyutsuki know the great old ones that are coming up, and they're kind of preparing mm-hmm. for them for various degrees. And so one of the threads in this chapter four is that they're trying to develop tech for the Evangelians to operate in snow because they know they're going to have to deal with Ithakwa eventually. And because they keep on poking fun at the fact that these giant robots required uh, outlets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they require extension cords. Extension yeah. cords, yeah. And so, like, the Ithakwa thing's going to pay off in two chapters, but, mm-hmm. like, the Ron Teagoth dying thing, like I said, is probably going to pay off a whole lot later. There's mm-hmm. just... The balls are in the air for varying lengths of time. And Gosh, so, this is yeah. really making me want to play the Arkham Horror board game. Y'all have no idea. It's all at my apartment, by the way. Do you want to fight Atlak Naka, Ithakwa, Rontigoth? Yeah, all of them. You know, you almost never get to fight the Great Old One in that. Ithakwa really. was a hard one because, like, the winds kept on um, yeah. Yeah, messing yeah, up. Fighting it, you almost never win, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to fight it. <laughs> if you're fighting, no, you're really. fucked up. But I always like to skip to fighting it because that's the fun part for me. Anyway. But in the spirit of crossover fanfiction, we should play against the custom Great Old One card I made for Metallia from Sailor Moon. Yeah. All right, I'm about that. I think I have that. Yeah, if you have the copy we used to play, you probably yeah, do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Which, which also includes our original, um, our OC characters from the AV. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have all that stuff in my apartment. And then in Chapter 5, Asuka moves in with Misato because reasons, just like an original Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, they have a harder time explaining why Shinji's not living with Gendo. Yeah, Gendo's just like, I don't have time to raise a child. Gendo's just like, yeah. no. And then they have to also address the fact that Rei lives on her own. Yeah. And they don't address that very well. You'd think they would have just given... I mean, like, she's more mature. Like, they, they specifically brought it up a couple points, and they just pass it off as Gendo being weird. Yeah, literally, that's especially... Yeah, Rei's like, more mature, Gendo's weird. And then End they, of story. And they're like... Uh, well, Asuka was asking, like, why does she have to live with Masato? It's like, because it's orders the, the other, yeah. the, the first child is doing it, and also, what about the second child? Well, the second child has 
their own place, which has been signed off by Gendo. Mm-hmm. And that's all, right. all the explanation the first they child. have. Raise the first child. Uh, whatever. All the, all the children. <laughs> Shinji's the third child, Nasuka's the second child. The first, first child in Unit 0, the third child in Unit 1, <laughs> the second child in Unit 2. No. Yes. Wait. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Wow. It's interesting that the second child's in Unit 2. It's the only one that matches up. <laughs> Amazing that any numbers match up at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Asuka rubs up against Gendo because she... You know, he chews her out, like we said, for not following orders. But she she takes it better than, like, Ken and Asuka would have, like she does Certainly, most things. Yeah. She's She's kind of fun. Like, she's confident. She, she knows her stuff. Um, in this chapter, it's titled War Games because they're doing, like, actual training with the Avas, like, sending them out for deployment practice. Kendo has case. Kaji design a, a simulation for, for the upcoming battle. Uh, that's, is that the snow appearing in their screens? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, like, trying to go capture well, a... Uh, yeah, Kaji wrote, wrote the scenario that uh-huh. they're doing. And they're trying to go capture, like, a, a guy on a motorcycle without crushing him to death and that sort of thing. How brave is that guy, though? I know. I <laughs> I was wondering who was riding on that motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this chapter also introduces another... It doesn't introduce one of our plot threads. It had been established that Shinji was having weird dreams, but mostly they were dreams of him sitting on a train. And not like the Evangelion actual sitting on a train dreams where people were talking to him about his, like, deep innermost self. Just him sitting on a train and being very bored. With a spider in the corner. With a spider Mm. in the corner. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, he squashes the spider. And because of the violence of wrecking his own dream, he ends up getting dropped in the dreamlands, apparently in an area where people who deliberately wreck their dreams tend to get stranded. And he's picked up by a slaver who is yes. taking him to sell in dilathlene. Also, I think it's important to mention that he confronted a spider sitting on his nose in the train stop in the first chapter and didn't do anything about it, and he was very kind to it. So squashing the spider was, like, under extreme duress for him. Yeah, it was a sign of duress. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, sorry, when I say dilathlene, I mean that we are now in Earth's dreamlands, the setting for Lovecraft's more Dunsanian, Lord Dunsany-influenced stories. Mm-hmm. And so he... Shinji's dream self is picked up by a slaver who is confronted by Asuka's dream self who is a knight of Celeface. And this is implied to be, like, another of the reasons that this canon Asuka is more balanced. It's just, like, mm-hmm. she... she Being in touch with your dreams in a Lovecraftian context tends to say good things about your sanity, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And Asuka was in touch because of all the training that Frau yes. Himmelfrog had yeah. given brought her. That up she later. had a dream yes, training. She had yeah. dream training, which is why she didn't wake up screaming from So Asuka is a certified dream warrior. Right. Yes. And, like, she's a, she's a dream knight of justice. Yeah. Love and mm-hmm. justice. And, like, she confronts this asshole slaver who, like, releases nightmares that he's captured against her. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't specifically say it's Asuka, but it's Asuka. Oh, it, no, it's Asuka. Yeah. yeah. I mean, She's the Red Knight. Shinji recognizes her voice. Yeah, but like, I'm just noting that they didn't explicitly say mm-hmm. it, but they just let you, yeah, they just it, let you it know. Yeah, it was clear. Yeah, yeah, well, that was just good writing. They didn't need to say it. Exactly. <laughs> Show, don't tell. Right. Yes. Um, Shinji ends up kind of saving the day by breaking a bunch of captured dreams, like, that are in the wagon with kind uh, of within arm's reach. Yeah. yeah, but anyway. Oh, yes, because he's trying to squash the spider. At that point, is yes. that... Yeah, he case? sees a spider and... Terrible things are happening. He wants to save the knight that's under duress, mm-hmm. but he, instead he settles for wine to kill the spider who I happens he, to settle on. He feels like if this, he has a sense of this, he squishes the spider yeah. or something. And the spider was. is on top of all these bottles of nightmares and yeah. he tries to smash the spider. The spider moves away and he smashes yes. five bottles of nightmares. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And, you know, then they wake up. Right. And it's an introduction of one of these other subplots that's going to happen about Dreamlands and Asuka and Shinji eventually kind of is going to be trained in in dream manipulation also. Become but a, I don't know if you guys got that far. Become a dream warrior and de- defeat uh, Freddy Krueger? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah, so Freddy Krueger. Uh, I didn't get to Shinji being trained in dream manipulation. I, I haven't reached that point, but I have through osmosis. <laughs> I figured that out both through... Mm. Our, our our RPG experience and the AV game subsequent after mm-hmm. that, I, I, I kind of look for it now. The, uh, I see. The only plot element I can identify that I drew directly from Children of an Elder God into the AVA game, not the one, not the game I ran based on this fanfic, the one I ran that was Kitchen Sink. Yeah, not to mention was, that, that, that the term AVA game is such a misnomer. At this it point. is. <laughs> yeah. uh, like the, I said, version 3 had no AVA in it whatsoever. <laughs> anyway. The only thing, neither did version 2. Except <laughs> technically. Um, Except anyway, so yeah, the only thing I drew directly from this fanfic for that was Asuka being a knight of Celeface. Mm. Um, not that it mattered, but it was just one of those things. Mm-hmm. The knights of Celeface tended to keep showing up in that game, though. Anyway, chapter six is the Ithaqua fight that has been bragging set up. about you, Amato. I know, I just like talking about myself that no one else cares about. Let's talk about other people's creative works. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter six is the Ithakwa chapter, which has kind of been being built. Ithakwa is the great old one that's kind of like a giant who is a snow monster. Abominable snowman. Yeah, sort of, except more horrifying and yeah. more weather powers. Was Ithakwa supposed to be on the South Pole? North, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I could be wrong. I think North. They have to go North to fight it. They're no, like, it, it, well, it's in the North Pole. I don't know about original... It's not part of At the Mountains of Madness, which is the Antarctica story. Mm. So I think it must... I, I don't even remember... I don't think Ithok was a Lovecraft entity. I think it's another no. another mythos writer. Okay. And I'm not even I'm sure not I've read that story. Sure, yeah. yeah. But um, Ithok is part of the uh, current, whatever we call, Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, for sure. Isn't a Extended abominable <laughs> snowman Abominable. <laughs> but a much more horrifying entity. And it is also mentioned in this chapter that the um, great old ones or like elder gods, which whatever they are supposed to be, are have been classified as elementals. Yeah. They, yes. They start off with a uh, dereleth joke because Gendo and Fudziki are talking about... Um, elemental classification of great old ones and mm-hmm. and how like some cultists or whatever were totally wrong about it mm-hmm. and they must be working off of de- like dear Leth's yes. elemental classification it was, it was a specific translator um who who missed who mislabeled the, the elements that yes. they're talking about. okay but it, but it's a reference to august Derleth, the guy who yes. kind of kept lovecraft's writings in print who did classify the great old ones into elemental categories in his yes. own writings and collaborations. And then, but then they also make the interesting, like, draw between Western elementalism versus, like, Eastern, mm-hmm. where, like, they say, oh, if we look at it really, we have five elements, and metal is one of them, and wood is one yeah, of them. Yeah, metal and plant life, wood. Yeah. Yeah. And where it was, like, in Western, you know, in Western mythology, we only have four, the, like, fire. Earth, air, earth, fire, water, and yeah. heart. <laughs> That's five, Dom. Spirit. Well, all anyway, I know, yeah. all I know is that Ithaka is Metal ice type. Metal is an element more in Eastern um, mythology, and that's yeah. what they're trying to point out. And Ithaka would be weak against metal, as well as rock, fighting, and dragon? fire. No, not dragon. Okay. Um, Ithaka would be very <laughs> no, strong, strong against dragon. Against dragon. Yeah, ice okay. is strong against dragon. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> Sorry for banging on the table. Probably made a weird noise in the microphone. Just got very excited about. <laughs> I got really excited about that joke. <laughs> Uh, this is Knockwood Chapter. I want to talk about the action a little bit. The Evangelians in this case, they have their brand new, like, operate-in-snow equipment and battery pack systems that can be airdropped to them and stuff. I don't think they mentioned the snow equipment, just the battery packs. Right? Well, I, I guess maybe it's just battery packs. They don't need snow equipment because they're Evangelians, I yeah, guess. Yeah, they're, they're getting carted over while they're in their black in their, LCL In their plugs. Yeah, in their yeah. plugs. And, yeah, and also they've got to, like, stay up in Canada. They're trying to hunt down Ithaqua, and, like, they end up being up there for more than 24 hours. And they're surprised because Ithaqua is kind of smart. Yeah. And, like, they try yeah. to bomb Ithaqua first, and Ithaqua just takes all the N2 mines and uses them against humanity. He <laughs> just shoves an N2 mine into Ava Unit yeah. 1's chest. That and, was messed up. And before that, into various human military bases. Can we just back up a second, though, and talk about how for 12 hours they were trapped on their LCL plugs, not able to see anything in and the end more than that shinji and asuka tried to do was tell ray a joke that would make her laugh yeah they implied it was 12 hours of knock knock jokes yes <laughs> oh yeah and while they're being airlifted up to canada or yes. whatever yeah i just want to back up to that because it was an interesting and like very cute human moment and yeah. of course they didn't get ready to laugh and but it was, it was, it was nice, really like, funny. Normally, this sort, of, this sort of things, they're like, oh, the bad guy's in Canada. Oh, we're in Canada. It's like, no, right, you no. gotta fly 12 hours from Japan to, to North America. Plug <laughs> with the, you can't see, you kid. Because they, they don't have the equipment Dude, to put them into the plug once they get there. You can't see or move for 12 yeah. hours. Like, that's messed up. Because they're basically like, just gonna eat. go there and get halo know, dropped. You can't eat, you can't smoke, you can't drink. Yeah, Shinji's like, like, what are we going to eat? And Ritsuko tells him, the LCL sustains you. Don't worry. You just have to sit in this disgusting well, sludge. You'll you know be what? fine. When you're on a twelve-hour flight, some of the like the best moment is when they come around with like food and drink, and you're like, "Thank uh-huh. God, I have something to distract from the fact that I'm trapped here for twelve hours." Yeah, I, on my Ugh. last twelve-hour uh, flight, I got to distract myself with by uh, watching um, Kimi no Nawa. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what. No, that they is. didn't get your that. name. They okay. got <laughs> telling Just each other knock knock jokes. Not and trying to get rid of that. While you're talking about that knock knock jokes, that is an example of some very pleasant pilot characterization. More more balanced Asuka is consistently trying to reach out to Ray yeah. to become yeah, friends. Nice. Like over and over. Quite different. And, and she's not really discouraged by Ray being cold. She's like, well, it's really important that we as pilots get to work as a team and like so she keeps reaching out in very pleasant friendly ways and it's not threatened by ray no she's not threatened at all because we've mm-hmm. kind of got the love triangle thing going on in that ray is interested in shinji in the, mm-hmm. in their real weird otherworldly sort of fashion yeah and mm-hmm. in that sense ray keeps getting distressed by asuka being like nice nice to shinji, to shinji. but asuka's not interested in shinji romantically in the slightest or vice versa and so you don't have the is. like the you don't have any kind of like real tension that is going to tank anybody. This was extremely different because Asuka has yet to be mean to Shinji. No. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Well, Very strange. Or mean to Ray. She's literally been nice to both of them. I think that was the biggest and most drastic character change between this and the original Some series. of Some of Asuka's language could be a bit harsh, but actually uh, but, pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, relatively, she's... She's still got a huge head. And like, yeah. Like, oh, I just need to draw them out. Or maybe Shinji's a little wimpy. But, you know, he fights well. But if I challenge Shinji to a swimming race. (laughs) Yeah, she challenges him to a swimming race. But she doesn't talk shit at him all the time. Or yell at him. Or accuse him of being a pervert all the time. 
And she doesn't also, like, condescend to Ray and call her names. She doesn't do that either. It's she really sees Ray as a complete peer. She's like, Ray and I have been training since we're six. Yeah. She kind of cuts Shinji a break because he just started, and that's why mm-hmm. he's kind of, like, crappy at these things. And she kind of sees it that she needs to take him under her wing and, like, teach yeah. him stuff. So that was also way a little, more reasonable. Also a little bit horrified that Shinji had just started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of shockingly pleasant. Yeah. And speaking of that, I'd like to talk about the fight against Ithakwa, mm-hmm. just in a general sense. One of the things I like about the fights in this is that the authors have no horse in the race to make Shinji the center of the action. And so the action fighting in Evangelions is pretty is a lot more equitable between the pilots, mm-hmm. I feel like, in this than in original Ava, where it mm. is often the case that Shinji gets to do the cool thing. Yeah, which it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Because like even in the first fight, Shinji gets wrapped up in silk and like then, then, then they say Ray, Ray out, and Ray really yeah, she's the MVP. Yeah, well, she lights the whole thing on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But neither is Shinji completely useless. He's still in a giant, you know, fuck off robot, um, and is capable of moving around fine in it. I just feel like they do a good job making everybody contribute to all of the fights. And so we don't need to do the blow by blow with Ithaka. They eventually win. It's a pretty good fight. Um, Shinji notices, or Ray notices that it wasn't actually trying to kill them initially. Like they, they kind of jump it and it, yeah. it fights them off, but then just leaves. And they, they're kind of musing about whether it really recognizes them as being part of humanity or not. Yeah. Right. Because the Avas are such huge monstrous beings like it. Well, anyway. I'm kind of musing whether its motivation is to kill humanity or not. Yeah. It did in the air as well. plant into mines at military bases. A Canadian yes. city does end up getting blown up. Although yes. that was done by a nerve site. It was, remotely detonating bombs that Ithaka was carrying. Yeah. Correct. Um, and it, it's kind of debatable whether... <laughs> so Ithaka was following the rules of combat better than nerve was, and then not attacking civilian targets. Civilian targets being the Avas? Uh, yes. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> well, Avas aren't civilian targets. They're, they're mil- military yes, personnel. They're I know. I just mean from Ithaka's perspective, the Avas are like other great old ones just getting in its way. And it's yeah, of... yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I guess that's probably true. So Ithaka was uh, more adherent to the UN rules. Than <laughs> yeah, Ithaka seemed like a stand-up uh, monstrous yeah, snow entity. It's just quite unclear what they... like. Uh, great old ones are doing at this point what their motivation is. Yeah, yeah and it's supposed to be. I, hashtag Ithaka did nothing wrong. What, you know, I don't I don't know if this is in this chapter or the next one, but this idea that um, when uh, it was this whole thing about like ants or bees, I can't remember exactly which, but it was like oh, when um, a bee, I think it was when a bee stings a human, he must not assume that bees have malicious intent yeah, towards them. Yeah, this was on the topic. against them. The, the topic of whether angels knew that, yes. that Nerve had a plan. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, Gendo right. and Fuyutsuki are saying, like, we've killed a few great old ones. Are the rest of them going to start getting, like, all upset? And it's like, right. no, they don't care about you. <laughs> it was also just like, they, right. they're just going to see this as, like, being flukes or, like, weird. Oh, that... that Ithakwa got so taken out by humans. That's what weird. I yeah. extrapolated from that was that also the old ones didn't necessarily have malicious intention towards humans, but more, and I think they kind of I think they definitely this. Do. But they also kind of stated this in the fic, and it was kind of an extrapolation. But it's like kind of what they say in the fic is like, do they have malicious intention towards humans as species, or do they think of them more as insects? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, as humans, kind of it's not like great to be insects either. Yeah. Well, correct. Like, <laughs> 
but does that make their intention malicious? Mm. It's sort of like when you look at it that way, like if they're just in, if humans are just insects to them. How, how weird would that be yeah. if you're in an organization like, oh, a uh, uh, high up in command got killed, got stung by a bee and died? Like, oh, that's weird. Hey, another one got stung by a bee and died. Huh. <laughs> hey, a third one got stung by a bee. Do you think the bees are trying to murder us? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, like that was the implication though, is like how long does it take and that would for them to realize that humans might be a threat to them. That that so would be a they huge probably aren't trying to really a, kill humans. A huge leap in, in thought. But right. I, I I think yeah. that's gonna happen. And that but that was the, the implication. Yeah. yeah. That like people are nervous saying is like they probably don't think of us like that, yeah. you know. I think we're going to stop around there at the end of chapter six because a few of us have read a little bit farther, but as a group, that's how far we got. Well, uh, within this, there was also the weird psycho daydream nightmare mm-hmm. thing. Oh, in the middle, yeah, when there's like sleeping in the uh, Arctic, Shinji has a a dream yes. involving being way in the future and like cultists is actually really creepy. Like, you know, this was a super creepy part. Descendants of humanity, so he, like, oh, I mean, yes. humans. Oh, doing this, yes. this ritual, emulating Evangelians, like they've got a sacrificial knife or like thing that's like a dummy plug. It's all, it's not actually a knife. It's all very disturbing, but it's like they're kind of reenacting the entry plug. It was yeah. like year thing. 2176 or something. Yeah. And yeah. Shinji sees... The same day though, May 15th, my birthday. <laughs> Shinji sees Happy the... Birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> in, like, in the future. I'm like 20,000 years old. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not actually the future because he sees all these people as people that he knows. So, like, the yes. high priestess is, is Ritsuko, mm-hmm. and the high priest is wearing a mask. But when the high priest's mask starts slipping down and he pushes it back up with one hand, <laughs> he recognizes it as supposed yeah. to be Gendo. It's Gendo. But I know. And, and there's <laughs> a kind of virginal sacrifice yeah. tied up who looks like Misato. And that's the one like where they're also going to like insert a dummy plug and it's very disturbing. And, and I don't want to go deep into it. Yeah, there's some elements of sexual we, assault. We did do this. But it's this. not realized in the story, in the narrative. But the intention is clear. I think yeah. we, we did do this part in our eva game thing how did you handle it back then because i I don't remember i have vague memories of this i don't remember doing anything this is honestly when i brought this up before this is the main reason why i was shocked that you had read this when you were so young Mm -hmm. because it is extremely distressing yeah there i feel like they were starting easy on you so they could actually ramp up the distressing and the danger and the horrifying yeah and before this i was like this is pretty light for Cthulhu mythos. They're uh-huh. not really trying much, right? And they had this, and like, okay, I got it, I got it, yeah. Yeah, yeah there <laughs> was like... I'm like, not going to question anymore, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was very grateful that they didn't go to the full extent of perpetrating the assault yeah. that was implied that was going to occur. They did all they needed to. Yeah. To right. S- I, I was very grateful to make that it, they didn't go through that. Just to make it, like, her- to horrific even, and unsettling. even imply it, I just felt it was a necessary... Um, mm. I don't think it should have gone there. So I felt it was necessary, but I am also grateful that they didn't go to the length that I think many authors do go to in this. Yeah, so. and so uh, that's another thing in in chapter six, and Ray has to save uh, Shinji from that dream. But like I said, there's all kinds of subplots. There's other subplots we haven't even touched on that are going on in these chapters. But just in general, is there anything else we want to talk about? Um, before we wrap this up. One thing that we haven't touched on too much is the authors just 
throwing in references of all kinds for fun all the time. Yeah, all the extras in here are very named. You mean like the ones at that base up in Canada who are named after the Winnie the Pooh characters? <laughs> oh my god. That drove me up a wall when I read that. And the fact that Christopher Robin um, Harris or whatever, Christopher Robin Harris is keeps eating like sweets and stuff. No, like that's a, the Pooh character, right? No, it was... The Christopher Robin character was... Wait, maybe it was. Maybe yeah. you were right. Go Christopher on. Robin's the commander and his... Yeah. One of his subordinates who's also like a... Oh, that's right. Who's, who's clearly named Pooh and then there's Rue and then they all die then because it's that Rue. kind of story. Yes. But then like, yeah, the it was the... Yeah, I think it was the Pooh character is eating honey graham crackers. But I think it was the Christopher Robin character that was eating candy, if I recall. And also in, chap- anyway. in uh, chapter one, when Misato first in- introduces themselves as Captain Katsuragi, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Shinji mishears and says uh, Captain Kusanagi, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which, which is a, a Ghost in the Shell reference. And then to, in, to chapter, the major, in chapter three... That me for a second. Yeah. I was like, wait a second, the authors get it wrong. <laughs> But. In chapter three, they're doing drill and kill translation uh, from English into Japanese in their English class, which is very uh, mm-hmm. Japanese. Is that what it's system. called? Drill and kill? That's that's what people who do not like that kind of language teaching call it. It's not a very good type of language teaching, and no, the author also agrees with that and identifies is, that. Is like, that what you call it, Amato? Yes, it's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. It's like the author literally identifies the reason why it's terrible is because the teacher always goes in the same order with the class yes. of students. and so everyone so they just translates only what translate they need the to. sentence that they feel they're going to resp- be responsible for instead of translating the whole thing. But the point here is that the thing they are translating is Pinky and the Brain. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yes, it How was. How the fuck did I miss that? <laughs> I mean, it's a story I, that is supposed to be Pinky crazy. and the Brain. It was crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that kind of thing's happening all the time. And so mixed with this horror is just the authors having fun at any opportunity with what they're writing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's cool. I like it. Um, is there anything we want to complain about before we wrap this up, about what we've read so far of uh, Children of an Elder God? Because I, I have it's nitpicks, weird. but it's pretty solid. I think, like, inconsistent chapter lengths is my biggest concern. Yeah, that was a thing. Does it reassure you that they will consistently get longer from here on out? No. Yeah. I guess without having finished the the whole thing, it's really hard to have a nitpick because I do feel like it's building to something and I have like my hope and my optimism in that. Mm-hmm. There are definitely points where I felt like, you know, things were dragging a little bit. Mm. And there are definitely points where I felt like um well it's just the the latter dream in chapter six you know with the implication of sexual assault i don't know if all that was necessary um because i never feel like that stuff is necessary but if it comes to a point where it's in actually getting to something and that like as we move on it gets to an idea or representation of like what that means in the context of everything if it has something to say about human sexuality or something to say about misogyny or like the roles of women and that was the implication of that scene that i can get behind it because it might mean something but if it's just there i think it's reason, probably just shock horror exactly and, yeah. and if it's there for that reason i'm not i'm not really okay with that because mm-hmm. that's that's not something that i accept as something to be a shock horror element like that's a real human experience that you know i've experienced Women have experienced, um, uh, and everybody, like a lot of people have experienced. It's not chill for me just to put that in there like that. So that might be my one nitpick. And the other one is just like, hey, I don't know where all this is going, so I hope it's going somewhere. But 
I haven't read it all. So when I do, I'll have more information. <laughs> uh, my, my only real nitpicks in general, I mean, I'm kind of the target audience in all ways, but I, <laughs> I really enjoy a lot of this stuff. Uh, some things I don't think, I think fall flat in their writing. Like oh. this ongoing joke about Misato being a comically bad anime style cook. You know, like well, Seiko or a Kane Tendo style. No, she's, in the she's an instant ramen kind of bad cook, right? She's not like a yeah. try throwing a bunch of ingredients together and make something inedible uh, type of bad cook, is she? That's not that far no, off. Think, no, they're they're kind of the same sort of bad happened. cook. Like, I really think that happened. I might be wrong. I think, I think that happened did, in the original. In the original, didn't Masato try to do something with instant ramen? Weird? Yeah, I thought so well, too. Well, yeah, but no, but instant I ramen, that's what I'm saying. That's how she should be. No, Whereas, something weird oh, with instant ramen. Like, oh, did she? Like, yeah. No, maybe so. I don't, I'm not 100%, I don't remember completely, but it, it sounded right to me for her character. It's but same, I could be wrong. It didn't seem odd to me, no. Mm. Yeah. And then just like, Toji's a jerk all the time and it's hard to take him, but like... But good at uh, geometry. Yeah. And no, they're kind yeah. of setting up in this fanfic one of the many things we didn't mention, that like, all the kids in the school are like, athletic and talented and, you know... Well, yes. Asuka mentions that they're... That they're surprised that all the students in the class are good at something. Yeah, like really good at something. Yes, at one specific yes. subject. It's not consistent across the board, but they're, they're yeah, all good at something. Toji being really good at geometry did throw me for a loop. I'm not going to lie. Because Toji didn't come off as a good, like a quote-unquote good student in the source material. Yeah, so. in this he just, it's described as like, oh yeah, I'm just good at that specifically. But it also doesn't surprise me too much because it's like a... Of course, everybody's good at something. Like, maybe that yeah. just wasn't relevant to the original series. Well, I just hope know. they start covering non-Euclidean geometry early in their curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. It's going to become very essential. Totally just gives learning. up. <laughs> Dom, anything you want to complain about? I don't have too many uh, nitpicks. All, all I have is, like, weird things, like... Um, um, they still w- read the newspaper in the future, which is weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? And uh, they have Ava-sized parachutes, which would be... Physically um, impossible. Yeah. An inordinate amount of cloth. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not they, sure possible, they are period. overly concerned with physics and concerning the Avas. Like, they're too big to fly. That like, was a big thing. They're too big to fly, but yeah. then they have that. Yeah, so. and, like, the characterization of the canon characters are uh, drastically off from mm-hmm. the uh, original. Yes. But I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say, turning on to things that I like, if you... My favorite thing about this fanfic is just if you take out all the Cthulhu Mythos stuff and set that aside, and, like, I don't care that much about it, just the fact that it's Evangelion from the start, but all the elements remixed, completely different angels, different conspiracy theories, different conspiracies, characters kind of having different roles, all the characters being kind of off in different ways so that they're a little bit fresh and new. Yeah. It's just really interesting to read Mm -hmm. that in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's... The strength of this fanfic is that it doesn't have to lean on Lovecraft references to make it interesting. That's all kind of like a spice to the fact that they're just remixing and making Ava kind of new again. Yeah, so like mm-hmm. Shinji is an interesting character. I mean, it, Shinji is still a bit nervous, a, a bit weak, uh, but they haven't thrown a tantrum and threatened to run away at all. Yeah. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're still... Kind of, it's kind of a laid-back version of Shinji. Every character is more balanced. But when um, Amato pointed out to me that this is because it mirrors the Lovecraftian thing, that they are more sane and they become more insane, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's just my theory. I don't remember this fanfic too well. well no, but, but I feel like it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it wouldn't work if everyone was kind of 
a nervous wreck to begin with or you know i agree but, i agree but because all these characters are um, nicer more balanced their interactions are more fun to yeah. follow and you become more invested in as certainly. you move on and it certainly mirrors like the more optimistic fan fiction you might read about ava that these people are fundamentally okay in some way when really ava is about the damage that these children have yeah original ava yeah. yeah, I think the thing I actually hate the most was the tortured anagram for Dagon they came up with. <laughs> what did they call it? I don't remember. I tried to look it up later, and I just, the search function was trying to save me from it. <laughs> By implication, Dagon seems to be this fanfic's equivalent of the dummy plug um, mm-hmm. program. Yeah. And they're always talking about how, like, until we get Dagon working, like, all we've got is these three pilots, and, you know, we've just got to hope that's enough. Um, but, yeah, fun acronyms. It was really tortured, whatever it was. <laughs> Gotta make it seem like a word. You can't just have it be like the DGN or something. Yeah. <laughs> also, at one point, um, they had the cultist talking, I think in chapter two or three or mm-hmm. something. And I looked up the terms and found myself on the Lovecraft wiki. Uh, at first, I was like, oh, there's a lot of astrological stuff on here. And that's kind of weird. Is then I smacked myself in the hands, like, oh, no, no way, the stars are right. Yeah. Of course, uh, the Lovecraft uh, uh. Wiki will have tons of astral at astrological things on there. Yeah, true that. <laughs> what are your favorite things? Because like I said, mine is just it being remixed uh, and it being really fun to read that. Hmm. That's a really excellent question. I mean, I found the whole thing really gripping mm-hmm. and intense. I feel like it's actually hard for me to pinpoint like a favorite thing because... Nothing about this fanfiction made me happy. <laughs> but, like, that actually is the point. Like, especially the first chapter, but be horrified due to my fear of spiders. Um, but a lot of it was not necessarily horrifying, but just, like, very gripping and suspenseful in terms of, like, what's going to happen to these people. I think it's very fraught with the Lovecrafting ideas of how will these people achieve downfall. And I feel like in many ways, as I read this, you know, it was kind of stressful and depressing. But I feel like that is actually kind of what it achieved. I found the dream sequences, if I really have to pick on something, I found very good. It was the dream sequences where evoking the fact that the Red Knight was Asuka was effective despite never giving any specific indication of that. It's pretty you know? clear. Yeah. It's pretty clear. <laughs> but, you know, there's nothing, you know, it's this, this idea of red. This tied in, this vaguely familiar voice to Shinji. Like, I feel like that was evoked very specifically and clearly very well. And the personality was married. And I feel like that worked really well. So, but, like, mostly in the dream sequences, like, they were fantastical. And they completely deviated from the main identity of the story. Mm -hmm. And still felt like you were totally immersed, like, immediately into the dream. Oh, good, yeah. So, so I it, felt they it were very well written. Disruptive yeah. to be switching between those Correct, modes. correct. Like, yeah. it was very easy for your consciousness yeah. to jump into those and jump back. And, like, so for me, well done. The, the new character, character interactions, like a um, Cthulian Ray being teenage jealous was <laughs> fun for me to read. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, we can come back to this fanfic in the future if we want. It's hard to wrap a bow on it in the same way because we were only able to read six chapters of 24. Mm-hmm. The only problem is if we return to this fanfic again, we're still not going to finish it. At this speed, it would take another four episodes. But even as, as it mm-hmm. is, I still hardly recommend this one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really good. I I remembered it being good. I'm glad I did not remember wrong. 
and it makes me want to come back to it sometime, maybe we will. Yeah, I just want to know where it all goes. I'm yeah. very intrigued. At the very least, we will be able to wrap a bow on the next one, I think. It is all in one piece, and I think a length we can manage. Uh, hopefully, at least Dom will be inspired to finish it, because it is Beast Wars. Yeah, that's, that's Transformers Beast Wars. Did, are you way into Beast Wars too? Hell yeah, that was my shit growing up. Oh good, I saw an episode of Beast Wars too. <laughs> she tour was my favorite. Uh, Rhinox uh, was my favorite, I think. All right. I'm going off of a very little, just like with the Digimon, but I'm sure you'll catch me up. Oh yeah, well we'll explain it to you. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, this fanfic is Beast Wars Basic Program by Black Widow Three. There's a space between Black and Widow. There's not, not a space spiders. between Widow and Three. <laughs> Black Widow spiders. Three. I believe there will be at least one Black Arachnia if I know my Gosh, darn it. trivia at yeah. least. <laughs> yeah. But maybe it helps that it's a robot spider. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, actually, less terrifying, I will admit. Beast Wars Basic Program by Black Widow 3. It can be found on fanfiction.net, and the link we're providing is bit.ly slash RFR program. I'm trying to keep these shorter, so now it's just RFR program. Mm, perfect. Doesn't need to be basic. If we do another fanfic with program in the title, then we can make the link longer. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to happens. get too excited, considering how let down I was last time. <laughs> it turns out this is going to be a fanfic, a Beast Wars fanfic with no Transformers in it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's all just some human characters romance, because I know Beast Wars had lots of human characters. <laughs> Nope, nope. Guess again. Oh, my laugh was too loud. Not uh, oh, Neanderthal characters. Uh, no. Said before then, yeah. Um, some kind of small mammal characters. I think there no, was. So. I don't think there were. There was there at least just, rats. I think there was rocks. Rocks <laughs> and rats. Rat least, characters. It's all about the rocks and the rats. I think so, yeah. At least one of those rats is also a robot, though. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And at some point, a chariot car thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look forward to it. Uh, in the meantime, this was episode 11 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Children of an Elder God, chapters 1 through 6. You can find a copy of it on theforce.org, uh, the author's websites thereof. We're providing a link there to, I think, Rod M's website, the one with the HTML versions, at bit.ly slash RFR uh, children is what I did. RFR children. Mm. The intro song for this podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The dream quest of unknown Popey. <laughs> <laughs> I read that. I, I guess it should be the it's the place name, not the person name. <laughs> anyway, the outro song is Run Against the Universe, Run Against the Cold, Uncaring, Impersonal Universe from the same Color album. Run Against the Universe. Yeah. <laughs> You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our own website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you've got questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, please send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You might have some thoughts at the fact that this is our first time trying to not finish a fanfic. I shouldn't say we tried to not finish it. Like, I should say <laughs> we tried to not finish it. We didn't. Yeah, we were like, let's try not reading this. Let's try not. <laughs> <laughs> it's our first time doing the beginning of a fanfic uh, and not the end of a fanfic. A part of one, a partial. A partial fanfic. Yeah. In the meantime, okay, I always said in the meantime, a partial fanfic. Anyway, I'm Amato. 
I'm the Tory out of space. <laughs> I'm dumb. Well, I was going to say we're just three Earth life forms, but a color out of space wouldn't be. <sighs> we are just three insignificant Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other in the face of an indifferent cosmos. <laughs> Until next time, take care. Okay, we love you. Bye-bye. Don't go insane. Yet. It's <laughs> great advice in general. Bye. Say yet. <laughs> I <think> yet. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs>